Well, right now we're going to cover off um, part two of day one of the Workplace Wellness Festival, the virtual Workplace Wellness Festival, which was an incredible event. And um, if you missed part one, you can go back to our previous podcast episode. And in this, Lena is taking us through some of her notes that she's uh, made along the day with some incredible drawings. Now, if you haven't been to our LinkedIn page, you can get to spy out some of these drawings and her notes there as well. But we're going to give you some sort of a, a um, like a Cliff Notes version of um, part two of day one. Beyond Wellbeing, leading a thriving, generative and conscious workplace culture with Daryl Brown and Lena Mbahu. Thank you, Daryl. Yes, so um, we left it at number 15, which was the importance of sleep for health and productivity. And that is led by Dr. Moira Junge from uh, the Sleep Health Foundation and Professor Robert Adams, um, who is a professor of respiratory and sleep medicine at the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health. And they basically said that 40% of Australians don't get enough sleep. Um, and that's a big issue because, of course, that can create a lot of injuries and errors at work and can cost the company, but also the individuals a lot. But uh, we know that so many issues are related to poor sleep, such as depression and anxiety, irritability, um, uh, poor concentration, and just that sense of exhaustion and overwhelm. So, uh, so the importance of sleeping well is more important than ever. Mm. And I mentioned there is, there's a number of things that contribute to that. Firstly, like I used to be in the habit of going to bed late anyway, and um, had that kind of, I think I had a, a bit of a fear of missing out on the day. And so I'd stay up as late as I could. And then, of course, you know, I'm just shooting myself in the foot because I've still got to get up early and then I'm just dead tired and you've got to have five cups of coffee to get going. And then, you know, I worked out that caffeine, if I had two minutes, if I had my third cup of coffee in a day, then I would not go to sleep till two o'clock in the morning anyway. So it was kind of like this, this circular this dysfunction um, based around, I don't know. <laughs> Some inaccurate thinking, I suppose, <laughs> in that way. But yes, sleep, it's definitely a beneficial thing for, for, um, for having the energy to go through a day and, and um, as you say, for accuracy at any task that you've got to concentrate on. Yes, I'm a yoga teacher amongst the many other things that they do. And uh, we were given some postures, some asanas to help with sort of quietening down the mind and also putting the body into that state of, um, of calm and uh, prepare for sleep, basically. And uh, there are so many other rituals uh, that people can do before they, before they go to bed. And I think that it would be lovely to have it as part of the culture that an hour before going to bed, you start winding down, um, that you don't look at your screens anymore, that of course you're not eating or drinking and uh, that you start to really slow down either by taking a bath or finding uh, some comfortable thing that, that, that works for you. 
Yeah, and this is a change really. And, you know, we, we talk about how, especially around in the cities, we live such a fast paced life. And this is, um, this is idea that it's wonderful to be busy all the time. And we chop, chop full our days full of stuff and we want to jam pack it in. But really that doesn't lead to a balanced life and it certainly doesn't lead to satisfaction. Just because you do more stuff doesn't mean that, you know, you'll feel better about it afterwards. It's sort of like trying to have all the bags of lollies, isn't it? <laughs> have more bags of lollies. You just like if you have enough that it tastes good, then that's, let it go there, you know. So there's kind of a, a bit of a discipline that we need to bring into ourselves, isn't there, to be able to get that to reclaim that balance that we've kind of probably all um, know that intrinsically is inside us somewhere. We're just not living it out. Indeed. Yeah. And um, talk number 16 was about building your ideal day. Um, how small changes help thousands build individual wellness plans. And that was a really good talk by Duncan Young from Lendlease. I, I took a lot of notes out of that one because it was all about um, instead of making people less sick to make them more well. Haha. <laughs> Sounds good. Something I really care about as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's pretty good. I, I liked his, because this is where uh, I got that before, and he was talking about that um, the little lang language changes we can make that help us to check in with people or connect with people. Um, it, it, just in a, an easy, non-threatening kind of way, but one that's actually brings back, you know, we have that, how are you kind of greeting and it doesn't, there's, there's, there's some social forms that we've got that actually don't help us to, um, to really, uh, to really connect in a way that is, um, that actually gives us a benefit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, uh, what I love as well is that idea of planning planning for your tomorrow um, so because he loves swimming um, he gets everything ready the night before so that it makes it frictionless to have his swim in the dark at sunrise before sunrise in the morning and, and I, I know that preparation is really key for those kind of uh, things to happen and um, on that, there was a quote by Eamon Wolf that I picked up, um, which was, your day starts um, the hour before you go to bed the night before. <laughs> ah. Well, it's a different way of thinking about yeah. tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> That's right, indeed. I love it. Yeah, well, it's true. Like, I, I can recognise that for myself because... I made a plan for myself to um, have a kind of a, a meditation and a, a, a kind of an affirmation and visualization practice for myself every morning. And to do that, I knew that I had to get up an hour earlier than my day might have traditionally started. But the only way that I could work out how I could actually physically do that was to plan to go to bed earlier the night before. So, in fact, it had to. I had to actually do that. I had to actually adjust my schedule and make sure, like, if I'm going to do this tomorrow, then I've got to do this today and make it a part of my routine. Mm 
Mm. And, it, and it's worked. It's worked. <laughs> Except when I'm not feeling so well, you know. <laughs> so the next talk was um, about managing fatigue risk in healthcare and other industries with Peter Polnitz and uh, Chauvin, Chauvin uh, Banks. Siobhan? Sorry, Siobhan probably. Siobhan Banks. Um, and I love that they say that we needed to normalize the impact of fatigue because it, it's actually human to feel fatigue. A lot of people feel ashamed of that. And, um, and just again, like schedule and design better breaks, uh, limit the length of the shifts. Um, just that idea of using caffeine strategically, like you were mentioning earlier that you had caffeine late at, uh, later during the day so that it made it harder to sleep at night. So I guess if you have to have caffeine, just making sure that you're taking it at the right time so it doesn't disturb your sleep. Exactly, yes. That's a, a good strong point to make there. Mm. And then we had the talk number 18, which was psychological and cyber safety threats in broadcast media. And it was by Ian Simpson from ABC. And he spoke about all the different cyber threats uh, that journalists are fortunately victim of. So online bullying, harassment, trolling, stalking, something that I did not know the name of, which was called doxing, which means when um, people collect your personal info and threaten of releasing it. Wow, goodness. Um, and I imagine, and this is obviously the, the case here, that, that people in the media with jobs in the media, which is a whole industry, they're not in some ways a special category of people with special superhuman skills or anything. They're, um, they're just as, well, they're just like each of us and have their, their own frail humanity. And um, uh, yes, when you're in a front line or a, a scene place like that um, it, it, in terms of your industry, uh, it, you're left quite exposed. Yes, indeed. Um, and um, yeah, I like that he said to not feed the trolls, to actually remember that, um, that people who arrest you usually are trying to seek attention. So if you can manage not to respond to their behavior, yeah. react, actually maybe you can find a, a good response, but that idea of not reacting and also uh, finding a way to block them and to not fuel the flames, I think that sounds like a pretty good advice. Yes, well, and um, this is probably a little bit counter to what the um, point was that it was, was being made there, but, but it's interesting how um, not necessarily the ABC, but it has been in some of the media, they will make a story out of nothing by looking for a comment from somebody who might be able to take the bait, so to speak, um, and enter into a discussion that might, uh, might otherwise have just fallen by the wayside. So yeah, um, but it is interesting to work out exactly what we need to do to, to minimize um, flame throwing and, um, and building something into um, something that it can be quite dangerous. Mm. And then 
talk uh, number 19 was managing a safe return to work post-COVID. So um, that was with Gerard Bevan, John Baker from Coca-Cola, Channel Nessie from Bupa, and Paul Hilton Stoll. And yeah, they were asking to check with people how they really are. Um, to not just ask, are you okay, but to to go even further than that, like ask more specific questions and to really inquire how we can create safety, not only at work, but at home as well. Mm -hmm. Now that will be a, a subject that, well, it's certainly an area that we haven't had to deal with before, um, but certainly the whole thing, again, we were talking before about creating safe and trusting environments, um, certainly something to manage. Hmm. And then talk number 20 was mind of the leader using mindfulness, selflessness and compassion. And that was with Rasmus Hugard from the Potential Project. And he asked people, what are their examples of compassionate leaders? So of course, people went for Obama, the Dalai Lama, and just then got most of the uh, votes, I guess, in the, in the chat. But yeah. also Lady Diana and um, Ronnie Khan. Uh, some people mentioned Tammy Simon from uh, Sounds True, and uh, and others elected their wives or their bosses. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they do kind of stand out. Mm -hmm. Le leaders that operate in this kind of space, that you know, the selflessness and the compassion, they really do stand out. And um, it's extraordinary. Like I think of, you know, we've, I think of Jacinda Ardern and I know that uh, around my friend group and also just around, um, you kind of hear of, of really wanting her to become the Australian Prime Minister. And there's nothing against the current uh, Prime Minister, but but again, it's around that wanting to embrace and identify with the character of, of Jacinta. And um, it just shows what kind of cut through that has. And even, you know, as we look around the world, it's, it is um, these compassionate and selfless human beings that are, um, that are really, really being um, raised up and, um, you know, been shown as real role models. So um, it's a good, a good state of uh, state of mind to go for. Yes, for sure. We certainly do need more of them. And then talk number 21 was held by um, a doctor that um, that was quadriplegic, was made quadriplegic, uh, Dr. Dinesh uh, Palipana, on uh, how purpose can keep you going through the hardest times. That sounds um, quite interesting. And he would be somebody who would have experienced when you have a, an expectation of how your life will go and then um, it doesn't look like that, then that will um, generate uh, a whole lot of stuff you need to work through for sure. Yeah, and I really love what he said. Um, when you are a prisoner of your own mind, it's more limiting than any disability. Ha. Huh. I love that. That's it. Again, this is the, 
it's kind of like a refreshing perspective, isn't it? And so often we don't know that we're locked in our minds, you know, we, but, um, but I can identify with that. Uh, certainly with um, some of the people I'm in close relationship with, there's that kind of issue where it is, it is their mind that actually is holding them kind of captive uh, to ransom almost. Um, yeah. And whether they don't have a kind of a, a freedom that, um, you know, you, you might hope if you're just sort of wandering around doing your own thing. Indeed. And talk number 22 was full of energy. It was uh, done by Sue Langley, already yes. through the screen. Uh, and uh, it was called The Future is Human. Good. Yeah. It's good to hear that. I Like, I so concur, actually. I think we're moving past this time where, where the future was technology, you know, or the future was industrialism, or it is, we're moving way past that now. And um, there is this place where we can start to reconnect with what it means to be human, like fully human, to appreciate it, and, and to kind of explore that more. And, um, and in some ways, you know, maybe technology has helped us to come to that place where we can be freer to express our humanity in a way that um, really can bring us joy. Yes, yes, definitely. And I love that uh, she's saying that we can use the internal to change the external. I really love that capacity that we have as humans to, to change the world by being the change. And um, and this idea also that she expanded on on the next day of uh, interoception, that capacity to pick up our inner sensations, to be aware of our bodies and the messages that our body is sending us and to stay in touch with that. Mm. I like, um, there's a similar concept that the, um, the conscious leadership group uh, uses, which is about the, um, the, the three the three levels of intelligence how we've got our mind intelligence but we've also got our uh, emotional intelligence and then we have a gut intelligence and so like or an instinctual intelligence and so there's a way that as we can attend to those then we can bring all of ourself to whatever the situation is as opposed to trying to shut one down or think that one is lesser than the other indeed yeah so the next talk was a very interesting one because that's definitely a topic that's uh, gathering a lot of interest, which is on financial well-being. And it was titled Australia Wealthy Nation Feeling Unwell and led by Catherine Birko from Money One-on-One. And uh, Catherine said that um, even though we are racing to get bigger houses and faster cars. When we get them, it still doesn't make us happy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah. Yes. We get it. We get it. <laughs> it is weird, that isn't it? Like, um, it's still hard to hard to get past that that whole kind of myth that the more toys you've got, the the happier you'll be, and. Um, it, there is an, obviously we've seen that there's this approach now to being more minimalistic or or being simpler in our lives and people are uh, 
sharing the good news that in this process, um, there is more joy coming back into their life and um, that the simpler life has and the simpler way of approaching things can, um, can really help us out in a lot of ways. And it's all about learning how to make wiser financial decisions and uh, being a bit more educated about money so that it, uh, like you don't let money worries affect your mental or your physical health. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's a lot where we, um, where we think that they are, um, where, where our, yeah, that whole financial stress that, that comes in, we think that life will be over if um, you know our current lifestyle can't be maintained, but um, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> it's, it's interesting right now. I'm sure that I've, uh, quite a few of us are financially stressed as the economy takes a dive and um, there's all sorts of things going on. But I love that, you know, before someone was talking about how, but how are you going right now? Often we, we worry about um, the future or the past, but right now, if you've got a roof over your head, then you're doing okay. Mm. Like it doesn't matter what's happening tomorrow, like right now, you're actually doing okay. And if we can live in that, um, that helps us. That doesn't necessarily mean that we want to make um, bad financial decisions, but but it is it, it helps perhaps to give some perspective on um, how how blessed we actually are right now with what we have. Yeah, gratitude is the attitude. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so number twenty four was a topic very close to my heart because as you know I have also founded Mindful Cooking a few years ago and I still uh, run workshops around food to help uh, people understand collaboration and mindfulness and leadership better um, and uh, the, the talk was called Good Food Good Mood Food <laughs> I know it's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, how good eating habits can support mental health. And it was done by Professor Felix Jaka from uh, Deakin University. And uh, yeah, she said that diet is a key factor that influences the likelihood of depression. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of weird how so many, you know, when we talk about depression and even anxiety and stuff like that, that, that so much of that can be related to our uh, physicality, um, what we're doing with our bodies and, and um, obviously what we're putting into them um, can make such a difference to that and just how balanced our lives are as well, I suppose. But diet, yeah, makes a big difference. Yes, and, and a big thing as well, I think people need to be aware of uh, is that malnutrition also includes obesity. Like when, when we hear that somebody's malnourished, we, we sometimes imagine uh, those, uh, those emaciated uh, people with almost like just a bit of uh, flesh on their bones. But uh, people who are obese can also be malnourished because they're not getting the right nutrients. Uh, yeah. A lot of junk food. That's it. It's just uh, highly processed carbohydrates that don't have a lot of nutritional values or high levels of sugar that just keep us going on that up and down mm. uh, highs and lows. 
Okay, and that takes us to the last talk of uh, day one, which was uh, reducing stress and being your optimal self in all aspects of life. So that uh, invited a few of the speakers that were already on stage before, Professor Felice Jacka, Gillian Kautz, um, Rasmus Hugard, and Dr. Denish Kalipana. And um, yeah, they say that when times are tough, it's important to be giving. Yes. So that's that, that, that reminder to really take action and think of others rather than yourself. And when you yep. are in moments of difficulty, that capacity that you have to help another is what can lift you up out of that state of helplessness or victimhood or that paralysis that you're disempowered and cannot do anything. Like just remembering that you can influence the people around you or you can make somebody else's life a little bit uh, nicer. Yeah, that is a big thing, isn't it? Like I think we forget it's some of these kind of paradoxes. When you look after somebody else, you're actually looking after yourself. <laughs> where we think we've just got to look after ourselves, look after number one, you know, and where we find that that's actually not, that's actually not how we're made to be. That's not how humans, we're, we're actually social animals in that sense, and that it is our connection with another, and it is our contribution to another that helps us to feel worthwhile to feel as you talk about being feel some level of control or some level of being able to can you know to be able to make a difference um yeah it's a big deal but so um so missed out on as we kind of just seek to protect ourselves and 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 seek to you know view everyone as a competitor and as somebody that's against us yeah different world views there. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that idea of, of course, we don't have all the answers. So it's important to find the courage to say, look, I don't know. Let's find the answer together. Um, and just using that collective intelligence of, of yeah. room or, uh, or knowing that we can actually figure things out by looking um, forward to solutions together. Yeah. I have found that to be so true anyway, like, but, but, it, but it, this is where it takes courage from leadership, isn't it? To kind of show us the way and um, to say that it's actually okay not to have the answer and to be, and to actually, you know, be okay with showing our, again, we're talking about human frailty, but it's also the best of humanity that, in fact, as we work together, as we come together with our collective strengths, that's where healing comes. That's where growth comes. That's where innovation comes. The, the one idea that one person have is never going to be as, as wonderful as the one idea that 20 people have, you know, <laughs> to be able to come up with a, a way to tackle whatever issue it is or whatever the situation is. So I'm, I'm excited about that kind of way of thinking as a, as a way forward in the world. And certainly, you know, as we talk about beyond well-being, I think that's part of what we're talking about with the kind of communities uh, and communities we're building, we'd love to be working with in workplaces to kind of build that collaboration and that ability just to go beyond just, you know, surviving or just coming up with what one person can do and executing that. 
brilliant. You've been listening to Beyond Wellbeing with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. There we go. So we're at the end of day one of the uh, the two-day festival and we've got some report cards now on the next uh, the next day coming up in the next episode and uh, we'll be able to let you in on who was there and what they said and all the amazing uh, content that was there. So uh, we look forward to uh, you joining with us again and uh, don't forget to, to subscribe to our podcast and also uh, share it around. Love for you to share it around on LinkedIn. Go to our LinkedIn page and um, view off some of uh, Lena's great artworks and her incredible notes that she took over the course of the, uh, the festival. And um, yeah, if you want to check us out also on our profiles on LinkedIn, you can uh, do that. And uh, we've got a couple of little websites as well. Lena's website on macroleaders.com.au and uh, my little uh, one that will take you through to a little Facebook group I run called UpsideDownLeader.com and uh, yeah, you can check us out and see what we're up to and uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again shortly.